0: The shift Gold, Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, November 17th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. I'm sure you've heard the saying, it's not over until the fat lady sings. Well, the fat lady hasn't sung a note. But a lot of people sure do seem to think the war against price inflation is over and the Fed won. Now, that could be true, but it's probably not. At least people should maybe slow down on the victory dance. So, everybody is giddy because the CPI in October came in a tad lower than expected. I hate to be that guy, but a tad lower isn't anywhere near close to the 2% target. I know some of you are sports people out there, and you've probably had this experience. You're watching your team. It gets off to an awful start. Your boys are down four scores before the end of the first half, so you get mad. Maybe you throw something across the living room, and you go to bed. You wake up the next morning only to discover that your team came back to win. I feel that's where inflation is right now. Everybody just assumes that inflation has lost. But the game isn't over, and trust me, inflation has the means to mount a comeback. I mean, if we want to stick with the sports analogy, it has Tom Brady as its quarterback. So, let's look at the actual CPI data and see what the victory party is all about. The short version is, for the first time in several months, the Consumer Price Index came in cooler than expected, and that supercharged expectations that the Fed can relent on its inflation fight. Looking at the numbers, consumer prices were basically flat month on month. It was reported as 0%, so no increase or decrease in prices for the month of October. Actually, it was a 0.04% increase, but that rounds to zero. And this was below the expectation, which was for a 0.1% increase. Interestingly, if it had been just a tenth bigger it would have rounded up to that 0.1. Looking on an annual basis, prices rose 3.2%. That was down from a 3.7% reading in September and lower than the 3.3% forecast. Now, if you're listening to the mainstream, you would think that was a huge surprise, a big beat. It wasn't, right? Obviously. I mean, basically, the data came in on the low end of expectations. It was not... A proverbial upset. It was basically what mainstream economists expected, but I guess the fact that it was just a tad cooler than the projection instead of hotter, uh, which is what we've been seeing over the last several months, um, everybody got all giddy. So, factoring out gasoline and food costs, again, not that normal people can just factor out food and energy costs, but uh, core CPI rose 0.2% month-on-month, and it was a tick lower than the 0.3% increase in September, but in line with June and July's data. The annual core CPI was down to uh, 4.0% from 4.1% in August. Now, I'm sure that you noticed that all of these annual numbers are bigger than 2%. That's the target, right? 2% means victory. But core CPI is still double that. The Fed has not won a darn thing. Looking at the monthly increases in the core so far in 2023 reveals that it remains kind of sticky right so the 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 narrative here is that that core is going down it did it went from 4.1 percent to 4.0 percent but if you actually kind of look at things over the last year uh it's kind of sticky so i'm not going to read all of these numbers but um if you take all of the monthly increases starting in january going through october uh It averages 0.33% per month, and that comes to 4.0% annually. So basically, core inflation year-on-year is 4%. And if you annualize the monthly numbers for 2023 so far, it's also 4%. So we're kind of stuck on this 4%. Now, mainstream media pundits have stars in their eyes because the trend is down, but it's not really. The trend over the last 14 months is basically stagnant. Now, it is down if you go back several more months because, as I've talked about before, we have math. And we had the big increases in core CPI uh, a little over a year ago, and those have rolled off the books. The same thing happened with the annual, right? Uh, we saw a big drop, and then it's kind of settled in in this 3 to 3.5% range. Um. To put the monthly core CPI increase in perspective, it needs to average just under 0.17% to hit that 2% annual target. So, nowhere near that on a monthly basis either. And now it is disclaimer time. Keep in mind, inflation is worse than the government data suggest. The CPI uses a formula that understates the actual rise in prices. I've talked about this before on several shows. Uh, I've got articles about it. I'll link to one on the show notes page. Based on the formula that was used back in the 1970s, CPI is closer to double the official number. So we're really in the 6 to 7% range if we're using uh, the old CPI formula, which, quite frankly, probably also understated inflation to some degree. And again, I can't emphasize this enough. Even if you accept the government data, every annual number remains well above the Fed's 2% target. So the fat lady hasn't even warmed up her vocal cords yet, much less started her performance. I think I mentioned last week that my car insurance went up 30%. And, you know, that's just one example of how. The formula fails to capture the actual increase in prices. Here's another thing that was wonky in this uh, month's readings. According to the CPI formula, health insurance has dropped 34% in the last year. Yeah, I said dropped. (laughs) Okay. So... Apparently, they've been tinkering with the health insurance part of the formula. They're trying to make it more accurate. You notice every time they try to make something more accurate, uh, it it makes it seem like there's less price inflation. Um, uh, You know, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you'd almost think that was intentional. I'll just leave that out there. But here's the thing. No matter what these contrived formulas say, We all know it's rough out there. I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that. right? You go to the store, you buy health insurance, you have car insurance, you know that all of these prices are blowing through the roof, no matter what the CPI says. And the reality is your paycheck is not keeping up with rising prices, right? That's the that's the mantra that you get. Oh, inflation isn't really that bad because your your paycheck's gonna get bigger. You know, you get raises and that that bounces out the price increases. And that's true if you extend it out to a long enough time. But the, the reality is the paychecks never rise as quickly as the prices. So you're always playing catch up. Um, if you look at uh, inflation-adjusted average hourly earnings, they increased by 0.2% on a monthly basis in October. But on the year, real average hourly earnings have only increased 0.8%. And that's according to a separate uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics release. So when you consider the government numbers, understate increasing prices, it's clear that workers are rapidly losing ground to skyrocketing prices. So, if we want to dig a little deeper into the CPI data, we had a big drop in energy prices uh, in the month of October. I think some of that is a function of, you know, they switch over the grades of gasoline from summer to winter, and the summer gas is actually a little bit more expensive to refine. So you get a little bit of price relief in the fall from from that. Uh, and we had a little bit of relief in the price of oil. Uh, it popped up again when the uh, uh, Hamas-Israel thing kicked off. But by and large, oil's kind of flattened, so gas prices moderated a bit, so that helped the CPI. Um, Aggregate aggregate energy prices declined by 2.5% month-on-month, so that's a big drop. Um, And gasoline prices actually dropped 5%. Uh, But on the other hand, food prices continued to tick up. They rose by 0.3% from last month. And shelter, Uh, also continued their relentless march upward, increasing by 0.3% month-on-month and 6.7% on an annual basis. Now, again, the pundits, this is something they've been fixated on, that shelter costs have been rising much faster than other uh, categories in the CPI, and they've been waiting for that to show some cool-down, and the 0.3% is a little bit less than what we've seen in the past, so um, that's supposed to be a good sign. Uh, looking at services, and that's minus energy services, we had a zero point three percent increase on a monthly basis. Uh, the annual rise was five point five percent. Interestingly, service prices are considered a leading indicator of future price inflation. So, uh, and last month that actually popped up pretty significantly, and we're still seeing increases in those service prices. So, if I was going to just sit back and try to objectively characterize this, CP, um, this CPI report, I'd probably call it, eh. I mean, it's certainly not awful, right? I mean, if you're going to sit back and look at it objectively, it was a tad cooler than expected. And we are seeing some downward trend in some of these prices. And when I say downward trend, what I really mean is the prices are not increasing as fast as they were earlier this year. That's true. We've seen some moderating in the pace of price increases, but prices are still increasing, right? To really get relief, like for me, if I really want some relief here, what I need to happen is I need some of these prices to come down, right? That's not happening, right? Food prices just aren't going up as fast as they were. Shelter prices maybe not going up as fast as they were, but they're still going up. In fact, even victory means prices are still going up 2% every single year. That's supposed to somehow be good. And, and, and you know, of course, they just pick 2% out of their butts. Um, that's a whole other show right there. But um, so, yeah, th- this report's kind of meh. Um, it doesn't indicate a new surge in prices, that's true, but it certainly doesn't scream inflation is over either. And that's how the markets seem to be reading it. So kind of looking at the market reaction, uh, we had a big rally in the stock market, and it was broad-based. Peter Schiff talked about in a podcast earlier this week the fact that uh, the stock market rally uh, over the last couple of weeks had been driven primarily by – a handful of stocks. Uh, as he put it, the, the generals were charging forward, but the troops weren't following. The rally that we got after the CPI report was very broad-based. Uh, the, the troops decided they were going to follow the generals forward. So uh, big rallies in, in the stock markets. Um, a big rally in the bond market. Uh, we saw bond prices rise, yields fell, uh, gave the federal government a little bit of interest rate relief. Gold also charted a big gain in the hours after the BLS report, uh, and that rally extended through yesterday and into this morning uh, and uh, the last time I looked, which was right before I started recording, we were back to nineteen ninety an ounce so close to knocking on the door of two thousand dollar gold again. And that's after the safe haven bid that we saw during the early stages of the Hamas-Israel conflict um, has pretty much unwound. We've seen dollar weakness. And all of this is because the CPI data reinforced the belief that the Fed can now end its inflation fight. Even before the CPI data release, markets were pricing in 75 basis points of rate decreases in 2024. So everybody's already convinced that not only is the Fed done hiking, they're probably going to start cutting in the uh, upcoming year. The Wall Street Journal declared quote, "The global fight against inflation has turned a corner, opening the door for central banks to start cutting interest rates next year." I mean, it's, again, not just that the Fed has finished hiking. Everybody now thinks there are going to be rate cuts. And, you know, they might be right. But it's not going to be because price inflation is gone. It's going to be because something broke in the economy under the strain of 5-plus percent interest rates. The economy is going to crash. That's going to force the Fed to go back to stimulus, which means quantitative easing and rate cuts. It's not because we're about to see this big victory in, in uh, over inflation. At least, not in my opinion. Uh, here's some more mainstream reaction for you. One portfolio manager told CNBC, "Quote: The Fed looks smart for effectively ending its tightening cycle as inflation continues to slow. Yields are down significantly as the last of investors not convinced the Fed is done are likely throwing in the towel." You know, it's funny. There's this assumption that the Fed has Ended its tightening cycle. I mean, this is what the guy's saying, right? And yet, if you listen to Jerome Powell, he keeps trying to tell you that it's not over, right? He keeps telling you they're not talking about rate cuts. Nobody is actually listening to what Jerome Powell is saying. Now, I get that because, I mean... Most of what they say is BS, and so maybe the markets realize that. But I mean, they're certainly not e- at this point. They're not even taking the cues, right? The open mouth operations that are usually pretty effective for the Fed uh, aren't even uh, working right now. Uh, an economist, I think this was also on CNBC. Uh, he chimed in, calling the October CPI report a game changer. Quote. We're having a day of rational exuberance because the data clearly show that we've been waiting for a uh, what we've been waiting for for a long time, which is a crack in the shelter component. And I mentioned this a minute ago. He was referring to the fact that the price of shelter, as calculated by the wonky CPI, didn't rise quite as much as it has over the last several months. Now, of course, we all know that this number has no correlation with the actual price of buying or renting a place to live. The formula literally depends on people's guesses as captured by surveys. And uh, I've talked about this, uh, I think, a couple episodes back in the show. And uh, I'll I'll link to an article about that in the show notes page as well. It it explains the bizarro way the BLS determines shelter costs. Now, you've probably picked up on the fact that I'm not quite convinced everybody should be running a victory lap. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First, if the Fed becomes convinced that price inflation is in retreat, it's going to loosen monetary policy, right? That's why the markets are booming. They love easy money, right? It's the mother's milk of this debt bubble economy. So, everybody thinks that's what's coming, right? We see that in these comments. We see that in the polling. Everybody's convinced that we are on the verge of rate cuts, What this really means is when the Fed thinks it has price inflation under control, it's going to start creating inflation again. In other words, the moment the Fed wins, it loses. Remember, price inflation is a symptom of monetary inflation. This confuses a lot of people because they use the same word for everything, right? They just say inflation. Inflation is up. Inflation is down. They really mean price inflation. Nobody really talks about monetary inflation, and that's the root of this problem. The Fed created this by holding interest rates artificially low for more than a decade and through two rounds of quantitative easing, basically money printing, that injected trillions of dollars of liquidity into the economy. Now, most of that money is still sloshing around out there, right? Monetary conditions are tighter now, that's true, but they aren't even really tight. The Chicago Fed has a thing called the Financial Conditions Index, and it kind of tells you how tight or loose financial conditions are. As Jim Grant has pointed out on uh, a number of occasions, the Financial Conditions Index is not showing. Tight monetary conditions. The number was negative 0.41 in the week ending October, or I'm sorry, the week ending November 10th. So when you get a plus in front of that number, then we can actually call financial conditions tight. According to the Chicago Fed, financial conditions are actually still kind of loose. And just look at the Fed's balance sheet, it's still close to $8 trillion. Now they've shed a bit. From that balance sheet. We've had this pretty consistent balance sheet reduction. But as I've pointed out several times, if the Fed sticks to this reduction plan, then it's on. It would take over seven years just to remove all of the money it directly injected into the system during the Rona. That ain't gonna happen, right? When the economy crashes, we all know the Fed's gonna go right back to quantitative easing. That's the fork it knows the chance that the Fed actually stands its ground and keeps money tight in the midst of a recession is only slightly above zero. It's really kind of ironic. Everybody is celebrating an end to inflation because they're desperate for the Fed to start creating inflation again. right? They want price inflation to go away so the Fed can go back to actually creating inflation. They want to go back to exactly what caused what we're experiencing today. And the other big issue, the other reason that I'm not convinced that we should be running victory laps right now is um, the amount of fiscal stimulus in the system. And by that, I mean government spending. We all know government spending is stimulative, right? That's why all the Keynesians want the feds to ramp up spending during a recession fiscal stimulus. They talk about it all the time. Well, they're spending like drunken sailors right now, right? We got the first Treasury statement of fiscal 2024 this week. The fiscal year actually starts in October. And you'll be shocked to learn that the Biden administration started the year with a nice juicy deficit, $66.56 billion to be exact. So just one month into the fiscal year, the federal government has already run a shortfall of over $66 billion. Now, that was actually slightly lower than last October's shortfall of $88 billion. So if you go look at some of the headlines uh, when they reported on the uh, monthly treasury statement, you'll see people saying, the budget deficit shrank this uh, October. But this was purely a function of record federal receipts as Americans impacted by natural disasters paid deferred tax bills. So basically what happened is there was a bunch of storms, especially in California last year in the spring, and the IRS gave some folks in California, some other states, uh, the option of putting off filing their taxes until October. So that happened, and the federal government got much more revenue in October than it normally would have. That made the deficit look a little smaller than it was last year. If you take away the extra revenue, the deficit was actually bigger than it was in 2023. Um, meanwhile, the Biden administration blew through four hundred and seventy billion dollars last month. That's how much money uh, the federal government spent. Uh, it was a fifteen point seven percent increase in spending compared to October twenty twenty three. So, the spending is just relentlessly going higher, um, and so the deficits we can expect to continue to grow and grow and grow. And, and you know, you remember back when we had the uh, the debt ceiling deal back in the summer. Uh, everybody's like, oh yeah, there's spending cuts in this. Yeah, yeah, look, we we cut spending. We're great. Woo, look at us. And now we have a 15.7% increase year to year on spending. So um, you can kind of chalk that up to the fact that pretty much whatever you hear come out of a politician's mouth is BS. So the spending is a problem in and of itself. You might recall that about a year ago, the Kansas City Fed published a paper saying that the central bank couldn't tackle price inflation with monetary policy alone. Uh, The paper said there has to be a tightening of fiscal policy as well. In other words, the government needs to cut spending. Do you think that's going to happen? These clowns can barely agree to a clean bill just to keep spending the same to avoid a government shutdown. And you know, actually, a government shutdown would be part of the solution, but uh, we're not going to get that either, apparently. So that's a problem. And of course, the interest on all of this debt is another huge elephant in the room that everybody just kind of keeps walking around and bumping into. So get this. Interest payments on the national debt grew by $41 billion year-over-year in October. $88.9 billion is how much the federal government spent just paying interest on the debt. This accounted for about two-thirds of the October spending increase. So I talked about the fact that we had a big jump in spending. A lot of that is because interest expenses are higher. The only spending category that was higher than interest with Social Security. The interest expense was bigger than the amount spent on national defense. The amount spent paying interest was bigger than the combined total of Medicaid and Medicare. In other words, interest on the debt was the second biggest spending category for the federal government. And it's only going to get worse. Every single week, more low interest rate bonds mature. The government doesn't have the money to pay those bondholders, so it has to sell new treasuries at much higher interest rates in order to pay off the debt that's maturing. Yes, it is a Ponzi scheme. The average interest rate on that debt, on the total national debt, is up, from 2.19% in October of last year to 3.05% today. So that's the average interest rate on the national debt. It's gone up almost an entire percentage point in one year. And that number will likely climb quickly higher as more and more of this debt rolls over. And of course, they're also borrowing more on top of that, right, to cover the deficit. So, all of this new borrowing is at much higher interest rates. So, interest expense is only going to get bigger. I should probably mention at this point that Moody's uh, investor services lowered its outlook on U.S. government credit from stable to negative. Uh, that was a, a week ago, last Friday. Um, this could be a prelude to a downgrade in the country's AAA credit rating by the agency. Um, it typically typically resolves an outlook by either revising it back to stable or executing an actual downgrade within 18 to 24 months. So, I mean, I guess at least somebody's paying attention to the malfeasance on Capitol Hill. Uh, You'll recall that uh, earlier this year, Fitch actually did downgrade uh, the country's credit rating to uh, AA plus from AAA. Now, this is another reason... But the Fed can't keep up the inflation fight, whether it's winning now or not. Demand for U.S. Treasuries isn't exactly booming, right? I mean, there's not a lot of people out there that are clamoring to buy U.S. government bonds. In fact, a lot of foreign countries are shedding U.S. debt, China in particular. So, lower demand means lower prices, right? That means higher yields in order to entice people to buy all of this paper, So the government borrowing and spending is actually putting upward pressure on interest rates. The little bond rally after the CPI data notwithstanding. So at some point, the Fed is going to have to step in and buy some of these treasuries to take up some of the slack, right? That's what quantitative easing is really all about, in quantitative easing, the U.S. Uh, the Federal Reserve steps in, it puts its big fat thumb on the bond market, it buys U.S. Treasuries, it creates artificial demand, and that holds prices a little bit higher and keeps interest rates a little bit lower. So it's basically the Fed tinkering with the bond market. It's going to have to do that. Unless the U.S. government gets its borrowing and spending under control, the Fed is going to have to step in and monetize some of this debt at some point. Now, it doesn't want to just do that because... Jerome Powell keeps saying, I don't pay any attention to the fiscal situation, which is BS, but that's what he says. Um, So they don't want to go in and directly say, hey, look, we got to monetize some of this debt because the government's spending is out of control. They're not going to say that. They're going to wait for a recession. But at some point, you're going to get the quantitative easing again. You have to have it in order for this whole bizarro world economy that we have. Uh, That's the only way it works. So, big picture, this balance sheet reduction that is going on is going to have to go back to balance sheet expansion, and that means more money printing, in other words, inflation. And one more problem for the Fed is that the anticipation of rate cuts causes dollar weakness, right? We saw this when the CPI data came out. The dollar index fell hard uh, after that report, and It's continued to stay soft for the rest of this week. So we've seen this kind of uh, this pattern. Whenever the markets think the Fed is close to mission accomplished, the dollar starts to fall. As long as the markets think the Fed is winning, the dollar will keep falling. But the thing is, dollar strength, thanks to the rate hikes, actually did some of the Fed's work in bringing down the CPI. It depressed commodity prices, so that put downward pressure on consumer prices. Dollar weakness will have the opposite effect. As the dollar weakens, it puts upward pressure on commodity prices. That puts upward pressures uh, down the line on consumer prices. So, dollar weakness is not good for the inflation fight. So, paradoxically, whenever people think the Fed is winning – It's actually creating a situation that makes it more difficult for the Fed to really win. Um, So the bottom line is, don't read too much into the CPI report. Look at the big picture. Price inflation is nowhere near the target. The fat lady isn't even on the stage yet. She ain't even warmed up. She's back in the back changing her clothes still. And if she does make an appearance... We can count on the Fed to go back to its inflationary policy, right? Again, when the Fed wins, it actually loses because as soon as it wins, it goes back to creating inflation. So this inflation war is far from over. Big picture, we're going to get inflation. We're going to get more and more of it. But as I mentioned earlier, the CPI did make a good uh, make for a good week in gold. Um, and you know that's another weird counterintuitive thing. People are selling gold when they think inflation is hot, and they're buying gold when they think inflation is coming down. and it goes to show just how monetary policy has become the driving factor in the markets. There's very little emphasis on fundamentals and actual economic conditions. Everybody is just fixated on what the central bank is going to do next. And I guess if you're, you know, if you're investing, especially if you're investing short term, you got to keep that in mind. Uh, you got to look at the way the markets are actually functioning. But I think if you're investing for the long term, you want to focus on fundamentals and you want to focus in the basi- basics because ultimately fundamentals and economics wins in the long run. Um, people are going to figure it out. And, and if there is inflation, right, if you're going to have persistent long term inflation, you want to hold some gold in your portfolio uh, because it will hedge against inflation over the long term, even though we have this weird counterintuitive thing going uh, on, on in the, uh, the short term movement. Of the markets, you know the same thing in the stock market. I mean, nobody's paying attention to fundamentals, right? People aren't looking at, at companies and and their their profits and and their uh, business strength. They're looking at well, what's the Fed going to do next? And they're uh, investing based on the movements of the Federal Reserve. It's it's a stupid system. And it's doomed to fail, right? The whole fiat system is doomed to fail. We've got this massive government intervention into the economy uh, through both the U.S. government and the central bank. It never works. Central planners cannot centrally plan. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the wherewithal. If you actually listen to some of these politicians, some of these central bankers, they're dumb. They don't know what they're doing. I say this all the time about politicians politicians are good at one thing getting people to vote for them okay maybe two things they're good at getting people to vote for them and they're good at getting people to give them money that's what they're good at they don't know anything They don't have any special knowledge i used to think when i was when i was younger you know i always had this this idea that people who rose to levels of government power you know people who were presidents or senators or uh representatives they must be smart. They must know stuff. They don't. They don't. I remember one time I, I, was, uh, I was in South Carolina um, and uh, it was uh, some type of political event. I don't even remember. It was a while back. But there was a woman who was running for Senate, U.S. Senate, in the state of South Carolina. And we got to chatting and I told her I worked with the Tenth Amendment Center. And she looks at me and goes, The Tenth Amendment. Now, which one is that? There's a woman running for Senate. So, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of faith in these politicians and these central planners. Uh, I do have faith in economics and fundamentals. And so that's what I really focus on. Now, so, if that's your focus, I think now's a good time to be buying gold and silver because, you know, sub $2,000 an ounce gold uh, it is a pretty good deal. I, I think we're going to continue to see some increases in the price of gold and when everything falls apart it's going to go through the roof that point is coming peter schiff keeps saying it i've said it it's coming right um and even even so i mean if you bought gold generally unless you bought it in 2011 which is the date everybody wants to throw in my face um you've had gains uh, in, in gold. In fact, I was looking at something the other day. Um, this guy charted, put this chart up and, and it was showing various investments over the last decade. So, from 2013 to uh, to 2023. And I, the chart was wrong. So, I actually went and looked at uh, did some of the math on some of these things and gold's up like 10% uh, over the last decade. So, that's not bad, right? Um, so, If you're interested in adding gold to your portfolio, silver to your portfolio, now is the perfect time to talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. You can do that by calling 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can email info at shiftgold.com, or you can go to shiftgold.com, go to the Getting Started tab. You can talk to a Precious Metal Specialist or chat with right there online. These guys are fantastic. They're going to ask you questions. They're going to look at your situation look at your goals, and help you figure out how precious metals might fit into your investment strategy. So do that today. And with that, I'm going to call that a gold wrap for the week. You can get more details on all of the stuff that I've talked about today and more. And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on... Uh, spotify you can find links to all of these things over on the show notes page you can email me m m m a h a r r e y at shipgold.com love hearing from folks really appreciate the fact that you take a little bit of time out of your day to listen to the show i hope you have a fantastic weekend and i'll talk to you again next week